0: Hello and welcome to the money nerds podcast where owning a calculator budgeting your money and having a net worth is actually cool I'm your host Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show For the longest time, the concept of stocks really confused me. It really did, I didn't understand. There were so many different terminologies like stock splits and stock buybacks, and even just like what is a stock and why the stock market goes up and down and all of that crazy stuff. It was really hard to understand all of that complex terminology. So that's why I was so excited to bring on today's guest, Brian Feraldi. If you have never heard of Brian before, he's a financial educator, YouTuber, and author of the new book, Why Does the Stock Market Go Up?, He has been intensely interested in money, personal finance, and investing ever since he graduated from college. He started investing in 2004. In the beginning, he had no idea what he was doing and got his teeth kicked in. His returns improved dramatically over time as his experience and knowledge about the stock market grew. Brian's career mission statement is to spread financial awareness. I am all about that mission, and I have to be honest with you, the concept of stocks is something that I see a lot of people not getting right, getting kind of confused on, or just not really understanding the ins and outs. And so here's a little overview of what you're going to learn today. We talk about what a stock actually is and what it represents, a background of how stocks are, as we know them, how they were invented, what a stock exchange is, the origin of the Dow Jones Industrial Average and how that works, stock market indices and how they can help us make better investment decisions What a market capitalization is, so when you hear that term of, oh, this is a large uh, market capitalization fund, you're like, what the crap does that mean? You're going to understand after this. We also talk about how to actually purchase a stock, why the stock market goes up. Two ways that you actually make money from a stock we go into what a stock buyback is and why a company would do that and resources that brian recommends for people who want to get to know the stock market even more this episode is so good i do have to give you a heads up towards the end of this episode brian and i had a little bit of internet fairies not working with us or whatever the heck you want to call it so there are some audio cutouts towards the end of the episode It really shouldn't affect the content too much. We can piece it together really, really well, but there is a couple little words here and there that are going to be missing. So just a heads up, I just wanna give you a full notice of that. All right, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into today's conversation with Brian. But before we do, let's hear a quick word from one of today's sponsors. Okay, over the past year, we've been doing a lot of projects that have absolutely trashed my body. One is our glamp site in the mountains, which you probably already know about where we're building our geodome. And to get to the property, it takes me two hours each way. So that is a lot of car time. It's a lot of physical exhaustion. And basically that has been taking a huge toll on my body. So because I have been really getting my butt kicked, I've been looking for options where I can easily just do something to help me relieve a lot of that stress. For some reason, I carry most of my stress in my shoulders. I don't know if that's true for you too, but it definitely is for me. But that is why I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor because today's sponsor is one that I personally use and love, it's Theragun. Theragun is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. So whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or an injury, or you've been building a glamp site like me, or just the stressors of everyday life, there is no substitute for Theragun Gen 4. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me. I'm a big fan. Try Theragun for 30 days starting at only $199. Therabody.com slash money nerds right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's Therabody.com slash money nerds. Therabody.com slash money nerds. You guys have to try this. It really is so incredible. All right, now back to the show. Hey guys, welcome to another episode today. I am so excited because we're going to get really nerdy into all things stocks. And I'm really excited to have Brian joining us. So Brian, thank you so much for hanging out.
1: Whitney, awesome to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I am so excited for you. You just launched a book and this is incredible. Anybody that publishes a book to me, that is like the hardest thing in the world. So I'm always like, Oh my God, you wrote a book. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, writing a book is super, super painful. Before I before I even started, uh, I reached out to some people for advice. Uh, one of the advice that I got from uh, Jason Zweig, who's the um, editor of the Wall Street Journal, he's written a bunch of books. He's like, advice number one, don't write a book. Advice number two, don't write a book. Advice number three, seriously, only write a book if you really, 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 really want it because it's so painful. And I can attest, it's very painful.
0: <laughs> it seems like such a process. And I know your book has just launched and you're already getting some really great feedback and i think it's partially because a book like this has not historically existed in the way you wrote it so tell us a little bit about what is the book what's it about and who is it for
1: yeah so i am a money nerd right i know i'm in good company uh here when i i graduated from college in 2004 and like so many people that graduate about college i was taught all kinds of subjects absolutely nothing about money, budgeting, investing, what the stock market is. And I say that as a business major. Mm -hmm. My major was business. And I couldn't tell you anything about the S&P 500, the stock market, what a stock is, how it works, none of that. So what chance do you have if your degree is physical therapy, nursing, like engineering, right? I'm a business major. That's supposed to be my area of, of, of focus, but like uh, when I graduated from college, my dad gave me a copy of a very popular book at the time, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. And Rich Dad, Poor Dad was the first book. A lot of flaws in that book t- today, sure. looking backwards. However, it was the very first book that opened up so many concepts that I'd never heard before. You can be become rich in one generation. The rich think differently about money. Everybody's in business for themselves. Use your money to buy assets that either go up and. Value or produce income, and you can become wealthy. Those were mind blowing concepts for me, the first time that I'd ever heard them before. And for whatever reason, they just immediately resonated with me like immediately. So I, from there, I just started reading every book that I could get my hands on about money, personal finance, investing. That led me to eventually read books about the stock market, and I've read all the classic books about investing by Peter Lynch, by Warren Buffett, by Seth Klarman, Joel Greenblatt, et cetera. And after reading all those wonderful books, I still didn't really fully understand a really important question about the stock market, which is, why does it go up? Yeah, like all no of doubt. those books I read are wonderful, wonderful books. Yeah. Um, and they, were, they said dollar cost average, the stock market goes down. You have to be in it for the long term, continue buying. And I was like, I, I get it. I'm on board. Why does it go up? Mm-hmm. I don't know why it goes up. And so many people are told to dollar cost average into index funds or whatever funds you choose. And you should just have faith that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you'll, you'll, be, you'll, do, you'll get everything you want financially. I firmly believe that, but I just never understood the why, the right. why behind the stock market going up. The good news is it's, it's not hard. To understand what the stock market is, how it works, and why it goes up over time, but uh, I just, I I just always, I've been wondering for years. Well, why isn't there just a book that explains just the the basics of the stock market, right? Uh, A very 101. Uh, A lot of the books that I read by Peter Lynch, Warren Buffett were like kind of 201 level. Like they kind of already assumed you knew the basics. So I saw an opportunity to write a book for people that are starting at square one, know nothing, and to explain to them in very easy to understand terms what the stock market is, how it works, why it goes down occasionally, and why it goes up over the the long term.
0: I love that. And so your book is fittingly called Why the Stock Market Goes Up.
1: <laughs> why does the stock market go up? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so Which perfect. Is it is the number one question that I had about investing when I first started. And to my amazement, there's never been a book called Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? Just <laughs> uh, so lucky. <laughs> yeah, I know, right?
0: It worked out. So let's start there. Okay, actually, let's let's go back a hair because I know the, the question of why does the stock market goes up is a really great question, but let's like maybe do some some background work. Let's start with what the heck is a stock. I think that's a good place for a lot of people.
1: Very much, very much so. So, what the heck is a, a stock and why do stocks have value? A stock is a record keeping tool for figuring out who owns how much of a corporation. That's it. It's a record keeping tool for, for figuring out who owns how much of a corporation. So, Whitney, let's say you and I go into business together. We're going to be sell- open up a candy store. Okay. I'm We're going to open up are. a candy store together. Very simple, very simple business. And we're going to, of course, do incredibly uh, well. Well, th- we calculate this candy store is going to cost $50,000 to get up off the ground, to buy the inventory, to make the store, hire the employees, etc. Et mm-hmm. All right. So you offered to put up uh, $40,000 of the 50000 we need to get the, mm-hmm. the company off the ground. I only have 10. Uh, we combine it together. Boom, we have our $50,000. Uh, now, h- how do we track who owns how much of the, of the company? Well, really simple way to do that is to divide the company up into pieces and sell those pieces to to investors so let's make the math right really easy we'll say that our our company now has this stock uh, the stock and there's fifty thousand shares fifty thousand shares in total we price them at one dollar each you invest forty thousand dollars you have forty thousand shares I invest ten thousand dollars I have ten thousand shares boom that is what a stock is a stock is a record-keeping tool for mm. keeping track of fractional ownership of a corporation. Now, why is that important? Well, in our first year, of course, our candy company crushes it and we make $100,000 in profit. Good, good on us. And we decide that we want to take that money and give it, pay it out to ourselves, the the Mm -hmm. owners of the business. All right. So we have $100,000 to to pay out, 50,000 shares. How much do we each get? The answer is, $2 per share. So $2 times your 40,000 shares is 80,000 bucks. $2 times my 10,000 shares is 20,000 bucks. Now, in that case, that's really really simple math to do, right? It's a very even number. It can get complex quickly when you have three investors, four investors, five investors, 10 investors. They're investing different amounts of money. They're not perfectly equal numbers. And they're investing at different time periods Mm -hmm. over time. So stocks are a simple record-keeping tool for tracking ownership of of a corporation.
0: One quick question on that too. So I think a lot of people might hear that and they're like, great. So how did you, the number of shares, how do we even know how many shares to issue? Like, is this a standard all across the board? Every company has the same amount or how does that generally get taken into consideration?
1: Yeah, that, that, that that's a great question. And this confuses so many people. The number of shares that we have is a completely arbitrary thing that that the company gets to decide. There's no standard number. So our fifty thousand dollars that it took to get the company going, we priced it at one dollar and we said mm-hmm. there's fifty thousand shares. We could have easily said priced at one penny and there's mm-hmm. five million shares. I'm pretty sure I did that math, right? I think 5 so. million shares. Or we could have said they're $10 each and there's only 5,000 shares. The number of shares that exist is a completely arbitrary number. And the companies companies can make up as many shares as, as, as they want. Uh, so mm-hmm. that, that that's how the share count works. It, the best analogy I've ever heard is think about like a pizza pie, right? A large mm-hmm. pizza pie. Does it matter if it's cut in half or four slices or eight slices? No, the amount of pizza is, is the exact, is the exact same shares work the exact same way you can have as few or as many as you want.
0: That makes sense. Okay. So that, that covers what a stock is and what a share is. And so the next thing is when people are like, we're seeing, let's say Apple, Apple and Tesla, I think those are like the sweet Hollywood stocks at the moment where everyone's like, I'll put all your money there. When we are buying a share of Apple, do we actually own a portion of that, or is that something where we're just like lending them our money
1: yeah this is this is another tricky question that i that I tackle in the book a question I got a friend of mine is like if I buy shares in Apple, does Apple get the money? Is it like going into right, Apple's right. bank account that's very common question that people get, and I've actually, believe it or not, seen tweets from people that manage money that don't know the answer to this question. The the reality is, if you're buying a stock in in Apple or Tesla or whoever it is, 99.999% of the time, that money is not going to the the company itself. Mm. That money that you're doing, that you're buying that uh, from, uh, that's going to another investor, an investor that owns shares in Tesla today, and they're selling it to you on the secondary market. Tesla or Apple in no way gets the capital that that you're using to buy shares. The only exception to that, uh, that time is when a company purposely creates new shares of its stock and lists those stock on an exchange and sells those shares to the public. The Mm -hmm. most common time that this happens is called an initial public offering or an IPO. Uh, This is when a private company that uh, has shares but is not owned by the public chooses to list its stock on a public exchange, such as the New York Stock Exchange or the the NASDAQ. The number one reason they do that is because they want to raise capital, they need. They want to raise tens, hundreds, or even billions of dollars to fund their, their operations. When they do so, they can create legally new shares of stock out of thin air and sell them on the public market. The very first second that it hits the market, that money goes back to the company. And as soon as they're sold once, the company no longer owns them and they are freely traded by the uh, investors in, in that company.
0: This is so fascinating. I think there's so many nuances to even the stock market that a lot of people don't understand. Let's go back just a little bit. So the concept of stock has probably been around in some capacity since like before Jesus was born. Like I'm sure it's been around for a long time, but the way we know it, how did it originate?
1: Yeah, so stocks in their current format, stocks were invented. I think a few hundred years ago, back in the days of like the East Indian uh, Company, when, tra- when um, trade, when yeah. ships were ships were made to go on vast voyages for for trading expeditions, and investors were putting up capital to buy the ships, hire the crew, and send them out there in a way to go build uh, build their their fortune. So just like just like then, uh, just like now, they there wasn't one investor that needed the capital; a lot of investors. Came together to pool the capital. That's where shares came from, and a key, a key component of uh, of corporations was the concept of limited liability. Right, that's mm. a really important thing. If if investors pool money, they they create a sh- a company. The ship goes out, and the ship gets shipwrecked, taxed by pirates, and the crew dies. The investors in that company lose their investment, but they're not personally liable for what the company does so there's a legal protection that the investors have for putting their their capital up now you might be pulling that idea and saying that's not right like if they did this and they and the, and the crew went off and lost their lives of course they should be uh, held reliable well if that's the case you won't get investors to put capital uh, yeah, at risk risky. right why would they if, if they if they're risking the rest of their fortunes to potentially make some money so that legal protection is very important the same holds true today by the way if you buy shares in, in a company and that company gets sued or takes on a bunch of debt that it can't pay or goes bankrupt the most you can lose is is 100%. You're not liable True. for anything that the company does uh, beyond that point. So that's really the the history of 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 companies, why shares exist and then the importance of that that legal that protection. Sense. Now fast forward a few hundred years and more businesses have, have, have evolved uh, over time. So even like 150 years ago in the United States, there were publicly traded companies. Railroad companies required huge amounts of capital to get to get off the ground. So they needed to raise money from investors to do so. Lots of banks were publicly traded. Uh, chemical companies were, were publicly traded. So the number of publicly tra- company tra- companies that are traded uh, has grown exponentially over time. But publicly held stocks have existed for hundreds of years.
0: That's incredible. Okay. So then I know a lot of people, they hear these concepts of like New York Stock Exchange, Dow Jones, all of this stuff. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, the the Dow Jones did this. And we all nod our heads and act like we know what everyone's talking about. But really a lot of people don't. So let's even like start there. Like what the heck is a a stock exchange? And let's start maybe specifically with the, the Dow Jones.
1: Sure, let's start with what's a, what's a stock, what's a stock exchange. That's an, an important one. Uh, a stock exchange is a place where businesses and investors come in together to buy, sell, and exchange with each other's stocks. A real simple analogy is to think of it like a farmer's market. Right? You go to a farmer's market with money to buy food. Food producers go to a farmer's market with food to sell. It's a place of exchanging food for money. Stock exchange, exact same thing. People go, Investors go there with capital to, to buy positions in businesses. Businesses go there with ideas to sell stock to, to investors to, to raise money. And it's just a, a marketplace. Uh, in the United States, one of the early marketplaces that stock exchanges that came up took place in downtown New York under a tree on a road called Wall Street. This was just a place that bankers and investors met up with each other very early on to buy, sell, and exchange shares with each other. And marketplaces have natural network effects where buyers want to go where sellers are and sellers want to go where buyers are. So this just became known as the meeting place to go and raise a capital that Those small group of investors still exist today. We just call it the New York Stock Exchange, and it's now a multi-billion dollar uh, corporation. And it's actually the biggest stock exchange in the world. But there are stock exchanges all around the world. There's like the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, the London Stock Exchange, the Shanghai Stock Exchange, almost every, every continent. Except for Antarctica has its own stock exchange that investors can go through to buy, sell and raise capital. So that's what a stock exchange is like the New York Stock Exchange. Is. The Dow Jones uh, history is just as uh, as interesting. So rewind the clock to the 1890s. Okay, the 1890s, the way that people got information about publicly traded stocks was tables that were printed in newspapers. But that that was that was the only information that was uh, available, and that was the way that people got information on stocks for uh, decades. Yeah. Uh, after <laughs> that, too, by the way. Well, in 1896, the editor of the Wall Street Journal, uh, what would become the Wall Street Journal, his name was Charles Dow. Okay, and he had he had a problem. What he wanted to do was to be able to summarize for his readers what happened. In the stock market that day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There wasn't any way for him to do so because it was just numbers on a page. Some were going up, some were going down, and there wasn't any like narrative that he could tell. Got it. So he went to his friend and associate. His name was Edward Jones. And the two of them invented a solution. So what they did was they added up. The 12 largest publicly traded companies at the time, these companies were industrial companies, so like railroads, manufacturers, chemical companies. So they added up the share price of 12 of these companies, readily available information, and they divided by 12. Well, what's it called when you add up some numbers and then divide by the numbers? That's called averaging, right? It's an average. So they reported for the first time ever, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And finally, they could compare this number from day to day to show what the sentiment was on Wall Street that day. So if some, mm. if nine of the stocks went up, three of them went down, the overall trend would be up for that day. If 11 of them went down and one of them went up, the overall trend would be down for that day. So that was how the Dow Jones Industrial Average was invented. And that there's a name mm. for that. It's just called an index, the Dow Jones Industrial Index over time, that, the Dow Jones really caught on with, with investors. And, and it's now the oldest index that exists in the world. And we are still quoting that index today. Now, The Dow has evolved since 1896. It used to be just 12 companies. In uh, 1928, it was upgraded to 30 companies. And over time, some of the companies that are in the index merge, get acquired, go out of business. So every few years, old companies are kicked out and new ones are brought in. So today, the Dow includes companies like Apple... Disney, Home Depot, United Health Group, et cetera. But the concept is the same. It's taking a small group of companies that exist, measuring the changes in their price and reporting that metric to investors to give an idea for what happened in the market that day.
0: So as an investor, when you see that, Is that something like what? What are we looking for in general? Are we just saying, okay, it went up? And then there's this concept of like points. Can we get into that just a a second, too? Because it seems like when people are like, oh, the stock market went up 20 points, it's like, well, what does that even mean? Like, how many points can you even have? Like, yeah. So let's like maybe like break that down just a little bit if you can.
1: So today, as we're, as we're speaking right now, the Dow is having a down day. So it's down 156 points. Sounds bad, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like totally down 156, terrible. Uh-huh. 156 points. Actually, it's now down 100. So it just changed to uh, something uh, <laughs> else. So the, the value of the Dow today is 34537 That's That's the total value of the Dow. And that is 100 points lower than it was yesterday. So the the, the Mm. absolute number of the Dow went down, has gone down by 100 points from today to yesterday. Is that a lot? Is that good or bad? Well, the Dow is reported in points, right? That number I just said, it was down 150 points. But that doesn't give you context. What gives you context is measuring the change on a percentage Basis. So the Dow on a percentage basis is down 0.25%. So by being down 100 or 150 points sounds bad. On a percentage basis, if you had $100 invested in the Dow uh, yesterday, you have $99.70 invested today. So the change is actually very, very small. So points are facts, but it's percentages that investors should focus on because Mm -hmm. the percentages is the context. Okay,
0: so for for newbie investors, when they pull up their phone and they see all the the different uh, Dow Jones and New York Stock, like they see all these different things, all they should really be paying close attention to is the percentages, at least in the beginning.
1: Yeah, well, they paying close attention to it, that's completely up to them. That's uh, but true. If they, fair. If, if they want, <laughs> if they want, if they want context for what happened in the market that particular day, then yes, look at the look at the percentages. But what happens in the market on any given day is random. If, if you look back at the history of of all the stock market uh, indexes, uh, markets are up. I think it's like fifty one of the time, and they're down 49% of the time. That sounds oh, wow. <laughs> awfully like a coin flip to, to me. Okay. So I personally pay zero, zero attention to what's happening in the market on any given day, week, or month, really. The stock market only actually becomes meaningful to me. What happens is when you start measuring in multi-year periods. So three years, five years, 10 years, That's those are the numbers that are actually relevant. It uh, should be relevant for investors.
0: You're ready to make the leap and turn your passion into profit, but you need the right team to make it happen. Indeed makes it easy to hire and build a team with the right skills to make your dreams a reality. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is a hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you every step of the hiring process. You can find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. I really like virtual interviews because it saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. Indeed makes it easy for you to connect with your applicants. You don't need to install anything extra. and Indeed's virtual interviews work for your browser. You can do it all in one place with Indeed. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash money nerds. Offer valid through April 30th. Go to indeed.com slash money nerds to claim your $75 credit before April 30th. Indeed.com slash money nerds. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Okay, so we're we're looking at a little bit more of that long-term approach of that three to 10-year range and I know some, some of the different stocks will be even further than that. They have even more history than even 10 years. And so for the average investor, when they're looking at what is a good stock to invest in, would you recommend looking at that three-year or do you go for more of that 10-year looking at how does that perform as a whole?
1: So when measuring whether a stock has been a good investment or a bad investment, my preferred yardstick is five years when compared to the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is just like the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It's an index, except for instead of just being 30 companies like the Dow is, it's actually 500 companies. So it's a more accurate representation of what's happened in in the stock market. So whether a stock is up or down is important, but the real thing that you should be figuring out or trying to look for is, has the stock outperformed the index or underperformed the index? Because if a stock goes up 50% in five years, that's bad if the index is up 100% uh, in five years. Uh, Conversely, if a stock's down 10% over five years, but the index is down 30% over five years, that's good, right? It's the relative performance that really matters. But the performance of a stock is just one of many, many metrics that investors need to look at when judging, is this company a good investment for or not? Sure,
0: for sure. It's all relative to the, I think the other thing that would be really interesting to dive into is when we say stock and we've thrown out terms like index and index funds and all of this different stuff is a stock an index fund. I think a lot of people might get confused on that as well.
1: Yeah. So, so, so stock is a component of an index fund. At its most basic level, a stock represents ownership in, in a corporation. So if you buy a share of Apple, you're a part owner of Apple. You buy a share of Starbucks, you're a part owner of Starbucks, et cetera, for the multi-thousand publicly traded companies that exist out there, to say nothing of the millions of privately held companies that are out there. But if you look at like the, the Dow, for example, there's 30 companies that make up the Dow. We We listed some of them before, Apple, United Health Group, Home Depot, Microsoft. Those are just components of the Dow. So what happens with their stock influences what happens to the Dow, but it's just a portion of what happens to the Dow. Same is true for the S&P 500. I'm pretty sure that Apple is the largest component of the S&P 500. So it has the biggest influence over what happens to the price of the S&P 500. But even Apple, which is the biggest component by far, is only like 7% of the S&P 500. So the other 93% of the S&P 500 is those 499 companies that are not named Apple that are in the index.
0: So some people might think, why is Apple such a big component? What if I don't like that company? Does that matter? Like, Why why are they such a huge component of the S&P 500?
1: So the way that the S&P 500 balances or weighs itself, figures out what portion uh, is in each company is according to the company's market capitalization. Market capitalization is a wonky term, but what that is, is the total value of the, uh, the dollar amount of the company's shares. So the formula for figuring that out is very simple. It's just the current share price. The one what one share trades for times the total number of shares that exist. Now, in Apple's case, the value of Apple's equity right now is $2.8 trillion. That's $2.8 trillion. It is a gargantuanly massive business. The next biggest business is Microsoft. Microsoft is only 2.2 trillion dollars. So Apple is 700 billion dollars bigger than than Microsoft. For, to put another number out there, United Health Group, which is also a massive massive business, United Health Group is only 500 billion. So wow. you, Apple is literally almost 6 times bigger than United Health Group and United Health Group is a massive business. So when the so S&P crazy. 500 is weighing itself or figuring out how much goes into each individual component. What it does is it is it weighs by the market capitalization. So the larger the company, the higher the weighting it gets, and the smaller the company, the smaller the weighting it is.
0: So market capitalization is just a fancy way of saying what the company's worth?
1: One metric for figuring out what a company is 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 worth. Essentially, if you wanted to become an, an owner of the United Health Group, you'd have to come up with five hundred billion dollars to to buy the company. There's other metrics that you can use to figure out what a company is is worth, but that's that's the easiest and most relevant one.
0: Okay, that's good to hear because I know a lot of times you see large cap and mid cap, and people are like, "What the heck is this even meaning?" And yep. so basically, that's just one component of it is how to think of that as the based on the value of the company.
1: Yes. The cap in, in that and in that large cap, medium cap stands for capitalization. And in, in that case it's referring to the market capitalization. So that metric that we just said, it, that 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 is what determines whether something is large, medium, small, or micro. It's just how big the company is when what category it falls into. And when we
0: say stock too, like when we're talking about the capitalization, is this Is this something where our brain should always go to its only publicly traded companies that we're talking about here?
1: Yeah. Th- those are the ones that regular people like you and me can can invest in. Uh, there are ways to invest in private companies but and to buy stock in private companies, but you typically have to know <laughs> the people that yeah, are yeah, there yeah, or have things. connections and they're off, they're, they're off transactions. You'd you have to be an accredited investor, which mm-hmm. means you have to meet certain criteria to be able to do so for, for our purposes. Regular people like you and me that are investing, we, we're always going to be talking about publicly traded companies.
0: Yeah. I think that's helpful too. So Let's let's dive into like the million dollar question, which is when you go to actually buy a stock, how the heck are we actually doing this? Like what, what are we physically doing to purchase a
1: stock? So you are gonna be going to a broker out there. The big ones are like Vanguard, uh, Fidelity, E Trade, Robinhood's becoming a popular one. Mm-hmm. So you're just putting capital into there and then you're placing an order with your broker saying, buy me one share. Of, of of Apple and Apple is currently trading for $173. So you would spend $173 would disappear from your account. It would go into the account of someone that owned Apple and was wanted to turn that into cash. You would get the share of stock. You would now be a part owner of Apple. They would get the cash that you sent on and that's how you would become a, a shareholder.
0: That's awesome. That's really helpful too. Because I know for the longest time when I was started investing, I'm like, What am I even buying? Like Mm -hmm. how am I physically buying this? I I thought that even just putting money into like a retirement account like a Roth IRA, I was like, cool, I'm I'm investing. But even that was like novel concepts. So even the concept of purchasing a single stock is like really helpful to hear. I appreciate you breaking that down. The next million dollar question is why does the stock market go up?
1: well it's slightly more complex than i could describe here in a short period of time uh, however before you can understand why the stock market goes up you got you have to understand why a business is worth anything at all and why a business goes up in value over over time so it's widely known that apple let's keep going with apple is one sure. has been one of the best investments that you could made over the last 20 years so rewind the clock 20 years ago these numbers are going to be roughly accurate not perfectly accurate in 2002 Apple was selling computers. I'm pretty sure it just launched the iPod or it was j- just in that phase of going from like an also ran forgotten computer company to like a business, a serious uh, business. Well, back in 2002, Apple still had revenue, still had profits and everything like that. And during that year, I think Apple did about a hundred million dollars, uh, a few hundred million dollars in revenue and about a hundred million dollars in profit. Right. So that's what nice. the size of Apple was. Well, what's happened since then? They launched the iPod, massive hit. That mm-hmm. launched the iPhone, massive hit. The iPad, massive hit. Apple Watch, Macs have taken off, right? Apple Arcade, Apple Pay, Apple everything, right? There's The company is so much uh, selling so many more products and they're so much more popular than they ever have been. So it grew from a few hundred million or maybe it maybe a few maybe a few billion to 378 billion dollars. Wow. During that same time period, its profits, the the profits that belong to the shareholders of the company went from 100 million to 100 billion. A hundred billion. That's how much money Apple produced in profits over the last 12 months, a hundred billion dollars. So if you were a part owner of Apple, a shareholder of Apple in 2002, Mm -hmm. the amount of profits that your shares have a claim on has gone up more than a thousand fold. Like the, it is just yeah. up tremendously. That is the reason why the share price of Apple has gone up so much. The value of your Apple stock has also gone up, right along with those profits. Those hundred that hundred billion dollars that Apple created last year, that in a very real way belongs to the owners of the company. And Apple can use that money to reward its shareholders by giving it to them in cash, we call that a dividend, by repurchasing its shares, by investing in R&D, coming out with new products. And Apple has done all of those things to return its capital to shareholders. So that's why the value of a stock goes up over time. That exact same concept as a whole. So if you look back at the earnings or the profits of the S&P 500, the 500 companies in the S&P 500, they grow not in a straight line. The growth is certainly lumpy. Some year, the growth is huge. Other years, like 2020, it just sinks through the through the floor. But over long periods of time, the profits of the S&P 500 companies go up and up and up. There's a number of reasons for that. And I de- dedicated a chapter to each of the reasons in my book, but that is the fundamental reason why the value of the S&P 500 has gone up over time. And that that is the engine that moves stock prices over the long term. Over the short term, it what 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 the profits do and what the stock does can be completely disconnected from each other, and that's what's so confusing to to investors. They say, "Well, this company's doing good. Why is its stock going down?" Like that that concept doesn't make any any sense. But that's how the markets work.
0: And let's like break down to what are the ways that a stock makes money? You kind of mentioned a dividend as them giving a cash back to individual investors. Is, Is there any other ways that a stock would make money?
1: So there's two ways that you can make money from from owning stocks. The the, the the easiest one to understand is what you just said, a dividend, right? Apple is making money and it's, cho- it's choosing to pay a portion of that money directly to its shareholders. That's what our candy shop did, right? We made $100,000 right. $100, the first year. We decided to pay that money out directly to us, the owners of the business. You got 80 grand, I got 20 grand. That's, the one, that's one way that uh, investors can make money owning a stock. The second way is the more common way that people think of when they invite, they invest in a stock. And that is they buy it for one price and they try and sell it later for a higher price. So you buy a stock mm-hmm. for $10 per share. If you sell it for $15 per share, the $5 difference between those two is called the capital gain. So that's how you can make money with, with stocks in the stock market. You can make money through capital appreciation and through dividends.
0: Okay, that makes a ton of sense too. And I know like some people have seen the headlines too, especially recently where you hear a company is buying back shares of a stock. What does that even mean for the average investor?
1: Yeah. So let's make, uh, let's go to a um, very simple, uh, let's go back to our our candy shop. So When we started our candy shop, $50,000, you own 40,000 shares, which is 80% of the company. I own 10,000 shares, which is 10% of the company. Let's say instead of using that $100,000 to pay ourselves a dividend, we decide that it's in the best interest of the company to buy back shares from you. Okay? Okay. Buy back shares from you let's say we settle on a price. I'll pay you twice what you paid for them Uh, initially. You choose to sell 30,000 shares of your 40 back to the company. And Mm -hmm. the company gives you $60,000 for those shares. So twice what you paid for them. Okay. After the transaction is done, how many shares are there total now? Well, you own 10. Mm -hmm. I own 10. So we each own 50% of the business. So think about that for a second. Prior to buying back the stock, I only owned 20%. You owned 80% of the business. After the buyback happened, I didn't do anything, and I now own 50% of the you? business. Why? Because the total number of shares that are outstanding has declined over time. So that's a way that companies can make their share price more valuable is they repurchase shares from investors to reduce the total number outstanding. This is something that companies like Apple have done. Over the last over the last 8 years, the total number of shares that Apple has has fallen by 38%. So they have repurchased from their investors 38% of the total shares that existed eight years ago. That means that the total number of shares that are out there, or that that means that every shareholder that remains owns 38% more of the business today than they did eight years ago without them having to do anything. That's the value, bad. And that means the, the value, their claim on the future the company's profits has gone up without them doing anything. So that's how stock buybacks create value for, sh- for shareholders. They reduce the total number of investors in a company. The tricky thing is it doesn't always translate into creating shareholder value and it receives a lot of ire from people. They say, really well, this does. company's spending billions of dollars on stock buybacks, but they don't pay their workers enough money or whatever the, the argument is. But fundamentally, that's what a buyback is and that's how it creates value.
0: That is so fascinating. I think this is so interesting. When it comes to stocks, where do people start aside from your book? I think this should be required reading. It is so helpful for anybody who's just fascinated with the stock market and why it does what it does. Is there any other resources that you would really recommend?
1: Yeah, I, I think that books are a tremendous place to start. And uh, by the way, I'm am, I am as big of a fan of stocks, the stock market, individual company investing as they come. But I also fundamentally believe that only about 1% of people, maybe 2%, should bother with individual stocks. Right, yeah. And the reason I, I say that is, if you're going to be investing in individual stocks like I am, you have to be interested in business. You have to be willing to read through SEC filings, to listen to conference calls, to study business models, to, to judge whether or not a company is worth investing in or not. That takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of research. That takes a lot of know-how to kind of train yourself how to do that. You have to be able to read financial statements. You have to re- re- read, find information. For most people, that the pro- the idea of doing that is incredibly dull. Like It's just like, overwhelmingly, why would I spend my free time doing so? So if the idea of investing or doing that kind of research just bores you to tears, the easiest and the best thing to do is to just invest in index funds. Index funds, you just own broadly the entire market. You're betting on the entire market going up over time, which is a very good bet to make. And you don't have to know anything about uh, financial statements or SEC filings or or any of uh, that stuff. Now, having said that, if you are interested, if you are in that 1% that is excited by the idea of owning individual companies and you're willing to do the work, there's a number of wonderful books uh, out there. One up on Wall Street by by Peter Lynch and Warren Buffett and the Interpretation of Financial Statements are two books that I will uh, call out for learning the basics of businesses, evaluating businesses, and accounting.
0: Those are really good resources. They will definitely be linked in the show notes, but I definitely think everyone should start with your book because I think it is so fascinating. And I appreciate the one on one breakdown of what stocks are and how they make money and why the stock market does what it does and kind of that historical perspective too. I always nerd out on that. So I just wanted to say thank you for your book and for putting this out into the world and spending a huge chunk of your time creating this for us. Like that thank you. is amazing.
1: Thank you for having me. As I said at the start, none of this is hard. None of this is like super advanced. You need like a math degree or anything like that. They're all extremely basic concepts. It's just that they've never been explained in a a easy to understand manner. So you don't have to know advanced math. If you can do basic addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, you can fully understand how the stock market works.
0: That is so comforting too, because I know a lot of listeners are like, man, I don't want to spend two years of my life (laughs) studying financial all the reports and profit and loss and having to understand all that stuff. So it's really comforting to know that you don't have to be a math nerd or a money whiz to understand this stuff.
1: All right, but but at the same time, Today in America, 100 million Americans, 100 million Americans have money in the market in one way or another for a 401k, a people. for a Roth, through a 403b, through a pension plan. So yeah. 100 million people need the stock market to go up over time to fund their retirement. I think it should be required that they learn at least enough about the stock market to understand how it works and why they should have faith that it will go up over time.
0: I fully agree, Brian. I think you're spot on on that. (laughs) No doubt about it. Um, This has been a very interesting episode. I appreciate you breaking these really complex topics down into easy to understand, bite-sized little nuggets of info. So thank you again. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions?
1: Sure. No idea what's coming, but sure. Let's do it.
0: Let's do it. Oh, that's even better. I love when people don't know what to expect. That makes me so excited. Okay. These are just for funsies. So I'm curious for you. Where is one location you're dying to travel to Japan? Oh, any specific part? Uh, Tokyo. Nice. I love that. Okay. Next question for you. Are you more of a morning or evening routine person?
1: Morning. Definitely. I'm up at 6 AM at the latest, uh, every day. And, uh, I'm, I'm up and up and ready to go very early in the morning, much to the ire of my wife, but I'm just a morning person. (laughs)
0: I love that so much. Okay. So you, you're an early riser. Uh, do you have any like weird, quirky morning routines?
1: I pretty much wake up and I have to be quiet in my house. So I just start working right, right away, focused on whatever task I have at hand, but all all the work I do is on my, my computer. So I, I pretty much wake up immediately and start, start getting to work.
0: I like it. Okay. Next question for you. What is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better?
1: Boy, I'm almost embarrassed to say this on this show, but I bought a Tesla uh, <laughs> last year. <laughs> Don't be embarrassed. We love Teslas. <laughs> um, I've never been interested in cars. Like the, I, I've always driven uh, Hondas and Toyotas, and my, the only metric I cared about was cost per mile. But uh, I, I've been an investor in Tesla for more than 10 years, and it's done really well. And after wearing down my wife over a period of, of months, I finally let her convince me to buy a Tesla, and it's my favorite purchase I've ever made
0: very nice. what so which one did you go
1: with which model the model Y I don't even know what this means is that a really good one so that's the newest model it's like the it's like a basically a small SUV it's a it holds 5 people it has a slightly bigger oh, cool. uh, trunk we have a family of 5 so it's handy to have the the space to to get it but um if you've never been in a Tesla before i mean it's it's unlike it's unlike any other driving experience you ever
0: had <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> it would take some getting used to no doubt all right, my last question for you, my friend. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success?
1: Long-term thinking, it's really having a long-term mindset. It's so humans are humans are pre-programmed to think short-term. Right. Everything about us has been focused on survival, survival, survival. And it makes complete sense to us why we have fear, why we have greed, why we have to to focus on our short term desires. Right. That that historically has served us very well uh, for survival. But if you want to do well with money or with your career or really anything, all of the gains from those things come from compounding over long periods of time. The only way that you can reap the benefits of investing in the stock market, investing in your career, starting a pod podcast, whatever it is, is doing that thing consistently for many, many, many years on end. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that is by keeping your eye on the long-term prize. So adopting a long-term mindset to me is step one.
0: I love it. Brian, thank you so much for hanging out. It was so fun to learn from you.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Whitney. This was tremendous fun.
0: All right. Give me your feedback. What'd you think? Did you learn as much as I did? I thought this was such an interesting episode. Definitely a 101, borderline 102 episode that I think, even if you think you know a lot about stocks, I I definitely think you're going to learn something from this. And that's really what I appreciated about Brian and the way that he teaches this stuff. It's really helpful. If you enjoyed this episode and you think it could help just one person, you know, do me the biggest favor and send them this episode. That is truly one of the greatest gifts that you can ever give a podcaster. So if you would do me the biggest solid and just send them that episode or share it on Instagram or any social media platform, it truly does mean the world to me. All right. That is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you next week for another episode of the money nerds podcast. Bye.